Welcome to Tab Storytellers. I'm Abby Pato Bay. We are here to talk um, with our wonderful guest and talk about Tab. And Tab is an art education pedagogy and belief structure that has children as artists, the classroom as the studio, and we explore what do artists do. Um, and I'm here with my co-host. Hi, everybody. It's Jen Ferrari, and uh, thank you so much for joining us for Tab Storytellers. This podcast was established to promote dialogue among art teachers who seek best practices in contemporary art education and to advocate for TAB pedagogy and practice. This podcast, which we lovingly refer to as a TABcast, is published once a month and is a place to share our TAB stories with one another. These stories can come from TAB educators, administrators, community members, researchers, and many, many more sources. From how we found TAB, to implementation in the classroom, to advocacy for your program, to dispelling myths about TAB practice, we cover it all. Uh, for more information, uh, navigate after this tabcast to teachingforartisticbehavior.org. There you'll find helpful information, inspiration, and incredibly amazing items such as teacher-created resources and access to an online community of tab educators called Mighty Networks. All right, so I have the pleasure today of introducing um, someone that I've known for a little while. Uh, his name is Mark Holland, and he is the chair and a professor of the Studio Foundation Program at MassArt in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, which is also home of the TAB Institute. Um, so just something to note that um, stu the Studio Art Department in MassArt and the Art Education Department are two distinct departments, um, and I'm looking forward to hearing um, Mark's uh, version of his understanding of TAB and what his TAB story is. So Mark, welcome so um, welcome to Tab Storytellers. It's nice to have you with us. Oh, I'm honored to be here. Thank you both so much. It's really great. I've been listening to the podcast or Tabcast, excuse me, and um, it's been great. It's been really great. Um, and I've learned so much about Tab and what it really is. And um, and I think you know that I'm I'm not probably not your typical guest and someone that teaches Tab, but I'm coming at Tab from probably a different direction. So I'm honored to be here and 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 very happy. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Well, let's start us off. So what is exactly your TAB story? Um, how did you kind of find out about TAB? What brought you to it? How did you get involved? Yeah. So uh, it is very interesting that I teach at MassArt, and I've been so uh, been thrilled to hear uh, with some of your other guests uh, the mention, that keep mentioning MassArt and how, um, how MassArt has been an important part uh, with the Institute and been a part of what TAB is now. Um, but it's so interesting. I've been, this is my 20th year teaching at MassArt and um, uh, I'm, a, I'm an alum as well. So I've been around the place for a long time, close to 30 years uh, between a student and then, a, and then a, a professor. And it's so funny, I'd heard about TAB so often and, uh, but never really knew what it was. You know, and I knew it was connected to the art education department, which, as you said, uh, Jen, is not it's not what uh, Studio Foundation is. And it's a, it's it's a, one of the majors at MassArt. Um, it's for our students that want to go on to become art educators. And um, so they go through a program and, and they can go through various levels of the art education department at MassArt. Um, and one of them is studio art ed. So they can continue a studio practice while they're. Um, while they're going through their training to become art teachers. And then at the end of the program, there's, I believe, a six-month um, uh, certi certification program so they can become um, Massachusetts certified art educators. And so I you know, knew about TAB through the art ed department and really just mentions of it. Um, I have a good friend, Liz Reiser, who's uh, one of the people who um, 
organizes TAB and works with the TAB program. And um, heard about TAB through her, but again, never really knew. And then um, I, um, uh, for for as sort of an outside influence here, is that I teach. Um, typically, I teach in China. I teach. We have a MassArt has a partnership with a K twelve school in Beijing, and I teach. Typically, I go there in October to teach um, uh, juniors and seniors in high school who are thinking about applying to art schools in the United States. And uh, it's amazing. I haven't been there for three years, of course, because of COVID. But what's interesting is that uh, the person who, my good friend, Leah, uh, who's, uh, who's just one of the most amazing educators I've ever met in my life, um, it was someone that I've been partnered with when I'm in Beijing. And I had found out through Leah that she went to the Tab Institute at MassArt. And I, was, I said, wow, that's such an interesting thing that we've got people coming from around the world to, to attend Tab Institute. So that got me a little interested, and I had her tell me more about that. Uh, but really, what the real story is, is I did not really know about TAB until I met you, Jen, which is so interesting that my daughter, Gia, uh, was in your art class at um, at the school that you teach at here in our little town in Massachusetts. And um, I was uh, really interested in that, but I didn't even know that you were a tab teacher until I went in on one of the volunteer days, just went in to help you out one of those days and walked into that amazing classroom that you have and looked around and couldn't really believe what I was seeing. And of course I had been in there before, uh, on, on, um, back to school night. And, but until I was in there and started listening and working with the students that you were working with that day and sat down with students and just really just, you know, as a background person helping out, and listening, and then then as you and I talked about that, and and talked, and I said, you know, I remember asking you, can you tell me a little more about Tab? And you sort of gave me, you know, the the basics of what Tab is. But when I saw the your tally sheet and the spreadsheet, and that it was really quite sophisticated, much more sophisticated than I ever expected it to be. I was not downplaying it by any means, but we think of our, our classrooms as a place that are that are messy. And um, and we come in and we sort of rough the place up and then we sweep it into the trash and we start over again. And, um, and, um, and your classroom did all that in the best ways possible, but also took it to another level that I just didn't really know about so much. So that was the first, my first real um, connection to it and starting to understand it. And then I really started paying attention to Gia and her homework. And I would always, I've always been asking my kids, you know, would you have our class today? Yes. <laughs> How was that? Tell me what you did. And of course, like most kids do, oh, yeah, I don't know. It's something, you know, well, what do you mean you did something like what? I don't know. And then I was like, you know, you can't get that stuff out of your kids. But I started to push her a little bit on that, but I'll say that the thing that Gia always said, and this is not because I'm here with you, that was always the best art class experience that she had had while being in school. And I said, well, tell me about that, you know, and again, it's like, it's really, I think what a lot of kids do is that, you know, they'll like, she would say, well, I don't know. It's just really fun. And I said, well, what do you mean fun? And she said, well, I, just, I get to do what I want to do. And I think that when parents hear that or when others hear that, they think that that is, you know, lazy or something, you know, it's, it's thought of as well. Oh, so the teacher is just letting you do whatever you want to do. So they don't have to do anything. And of course I'm, you know, I'm preaching to the converted here that um, it is so far from that, you know, and I, I, you know, I, I have of course lots more to say about that, but that's really how I got to know it. And, uh, and still today, Gia and her friends that I've asked now um, uh, really loved the class. So of course, you know, as as I said, well, I'm sure we'll talk more about this, but um, the the um, 
the things that are happening in the classroom that they don't even understand are happening yet are what's really, really important. What's, what's, what's really activating the right side of the brain. Yeah. So one of the things that I love about um, having conversations with you is that I get to hear your perspective, not just from like the higher ed um, area, but also as a parent of a, of a student going through that type of experience. And just kind of speaking to what you were saying just now about, because um, a lot of people, that's one of the misconceptions about TAB is it's, it's, they think it's very laissez-faire, you know, let the kids do whatever. There's not a lot of structure, but um, I forget exactly the quote, but um, a friend of mine uh, once said, she's a TAB teacher as well. And she said, by letting them do what they want, you're getting them to do what you want. And that's kind of like, how I think about it is that they're there and they're making the decisions, but you are guiding them. And the way I do it is I have a very um, structured room, but also curriculum where we explore, you know, those studio habits of mind. And that's what they're really getting from it is that experience to build those habits. So it, it is a very, um, it's one of those things that if you or don't have a lot of experience with it, you see it from the outside, it's very hard to discern the, like, the difference between what you see happening and what is actually happening. And that's what you want. Um, but that I, I, I love hearing the perspective as the parent. So your experience with TAB as a parent um, with Gia, um, do you feel that her experience there has helped her in general? Like, do you feel that what she's gained maybe skill-wise in that tab environment may have helped her in other areas of her life? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. no doubt, no doubt. Um, well, I think uh, I'm, I am a big believer in that we need, in order to understand anything really in our lives and uh, to experience anything um, correctly is we must use all, all five of our senses. And um, I, I teach a travel course that's based on that specifically. So uh, I think that and this is exactly what, what making art does, right? Is that if you can touch something and hear something and taste it and see it, and and uh, and uh, getting the last one, uh, is that um, that's when you can really understand something the most. If you're just being told something, it might have some meaning to you, but it won't really have meaning to you specifically, right? Um, mm. But if you can put something in your hands first, I believe, and, and this is not just artists. I think anybody that if you can put something in your hands first, it starts to, uh, to develop this connection between your head and your hands that is constantly back and forth. And that's when you start to really understand something at a much deeper level. Um, I, I think this is, is well-documented in anything, right? We talk about, we talk about touch and, and, and smell and all those things in advertisement. Um, we, we reference that all the time in many, many things. I mean, look at the power of food and what that does to you and how it lets you travel, you know, it lets you go to these places and experience things and remember things, you know? So I think there's so many connections to our senses. So um, that's where I think um, is really great about the, the tab experience in the classroom for, for younger kids, especially is they might be going station to station, but they, and, and we know, and by, you know, your, your, your recording of this, Jen, is that, um, you know, some kids always go to the same station. They might always go to the sculpture station. They might always go to the painting, whatever it is that may be, but they've, they've touched other things along the way. And so we understand 
there's a reason that they keep going back to one place or another. Mm -hmm. And so we use that or you use that as a, as a way of understanding who the students are and, um, and how that connects to us as, as, as human beings, you know? So in Gia's case, you know, Gia is a, is a, a really shy kid, you know, painfully shy. And um, it took real, it takes a really long time for her to get to know somebody. And she, it's not that she's not trusting, but she's just shy. You know, she's just not outspoken. Her brother is the exact opposite, exact opposite. So of course, I think that makes it more difficult for her. I don't think she wants to be her brother, but I think what she wants to do is she just wants to be herself and, um, and, and everyone to be okay with that. And so I think that for someone like Gia, who is shy and doesn't want to speak up and doesn't quite want to raise her hand in class and things like that, I think that that connection of those senses and doing what she's doing by working with material. I mean, she's this way at home too. You know, she wants to be outside working with me a lot. Um, I am not, I, I never hesitate to put a power tool in her hand. I'm not talking about something dangerous, but you know, she made her own Halloween costume last year and she cut out all the places in plastic and she ground them and sanded everything. And so, you know, that kind of thing is pretty amazing to me. So I think that, you know, uh, coming from someone like me who believes that you have to develop the right side of the brain along with the left to make a whole person. It's just so basic in understanding, which isn't basic understanding of our country, that's for sure. But, um, but so I think that tab, I hope I'm answering your question, but I think that tab, the tab experience for Gia has absolutely given her more confidence in certain things. And it makes her not be afraid to try things. I think that's been really the, the most important thing for her anyway. And I would say that with a lot of our students. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so you're kind of touching on something that I was thinking about before we started tonight. What types of qualities do like studio art programs seek in prospective students? Because do you think that the qualities that are developed in like the TAB program align with those characteristics that, that you're looking for when kids apply to like art schools and such? Because sometimes I'm, I wonder like when it gets to like the high school level, a lot of teachers I think are concerned about portfolio and these other things that are all like visual, right? But what are those like other characteristics and in addition to the portfolio that people are looking for? Like, do you think that tab is, a, is something that provides that? Well, I think that I don't wanna speak for the admissions department because I, I'm not in admissions, <laughs> but I have sat in with, the admissions department is always wide open and, and we're welcome to sit in you know, and look at, and while they're list, while they're looking at portfolios and things like that, of course that that's changed a lot during COVID, but, um, but I will say that um, I know that what, what they are looking for, from what I believe that they are looking for is that is potential without a doubt. This is not about a, per if you had a perfect portfolio, you wouldn't need to be here. That is not what it's about. Of course, you have to have a portfolio that shows some promise, right? But if we be we would be um, we would be causing a lot of harm to ourselves and a serious disservice to students who are so many students are coming from underperforming programs where the art programs have been wiped out in their schools. And what what chance do those kids have if we're only looking at portfolios? That is really, really a major problem. So we don't do that. You know, portfolio is there. That is that is a driving force behind it, but it really is more of our potential. And the admission people in admissions officers, boy, they are incredible. They can look at something and just see, they can see some training in there and they can see potential, 
in a in what would be say a drawing that that doesn't look like it has any problems at all but they they know what they're talking about the bill grows so that's one thing um and as i said potential and like that letter that letter that's written when you apply to school is really crucial um they'll tell everybody you know when, when students are coming to visit the school and go on a tour they'll say to people you know they'll go through a, a, a portfolio session or say when you during your application and they'll always say, you've just got to be honest and you just got to tell us who you are. You know, this is not about, please don't start your letter with, I've been drawing since as long as I can remember. Well, because that's what every single kid in one says, right? And they think that's what they want to hear. But we don't, they don't need to hear that. We don't need to hear that. All we really want to see is potential. So um, at a place like NASAR, it's really an interesting thing because we're, we're a public university and, um, we, um, we are required to have a minimum of 65% of our students come from Massachusetts as a state school. So that's a really important thing. We always hover somewhere, I believe 70, 71%, something like that, which is great. Um, so what that does is that it, it, we are trying to draw so many students from Massachusetts, which means we're really reaching out as far as we can. The other thing we've done, I mean, I know I'm speaking about MassArt specifically, but I think this is a really great way. Uh, I'm very, very proud of of uh, the admissions uh, department who did this change about six years ago, six or seven years ago, was we eliminated um, test scores. So we don't look at SATs. We are test-free, test-free score, our school. So that's a really amazing thing because what we found is that a lot of students weren't even applying to MassArt who had incredible talent because their SAT scores weren't high. And they felt, I'm never going to get in, so I'm not even going to apply. And again, there's another place where it's like, boy, we are missing a whole lot of students who we should be mm -hmm. applying here. And in the middle of all that, too, we were, we were losing students that were coming from un underperforming districts that had no fault of theirs. They just didn't have the training or anything behind them. So um, those students were gone missing, you know. And so as a way of trying to diversify our student body uh, more than we ever did before um, and getting rid of the tests. And now we are test-free, not even test option. You know, there are still students who will send in their tests, but they're not even looked at. It is, it is portfolio and it's high school GPA. So that's a really important thing. So how am I relating this back to that all the time? I think, you know, for me, again, I think that the most well-rounded person, student, I mean, I'm talking about 18 year olds, right? They're so young. And, um, and so, and working so hard and coming through COVID and coming from these really difficult things where so much of their high school experience was online. And, um, uh, and as you said, Jen, in the beginning, like we, it's so difficult to teach something like art online is really, really hard. So we have to open up a lot of those things. And so I think that something like TAB or at least great art um, programs are so crucial to what we do. They're so crucial to every student, but we, we, we couldn't be without really strong um, K-12 art teachers. And I, I mean that. Um, so you were saying that you're over the first year, like, so the 18 year old, the first freshman year um, studio segment of their program. Mm -hmm. um, and you're having kids coming in with really different levels of ability. Um, so in mass arts programming, working with, I imagine the instructors that are all teaching those studio kind of foundation classes, um, do you provide support um, and training for your 
art educators to be able to differentiate like that? And is do you see like a movement towards tab pedagogy in those types of such situations? I mean, my limited experience is my own, um, having gone through my my bachelor's in uh, art 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 education like a million years ago, and um, the art department professors, separate from the education professors really had never had educational pedagogy. They had their MFAs and they had that kind of like, they came as the artist who came through these massive critiques and these, you know, this rigorous program of applying to shows and things, but really not the, um, how to meet diverse learners where they're at. Um, and so curious in your program, but also just in your experience. So, so, so are you asking though, do, do we have- like, I guess I'm asking training, two questions. We... So yeah. like, where are you, like, how are you making sure that like every, you know, like where you're meeting students, where they're at kind of thing. But I guess as a, as a way of doing that, how are you, you know, supporting your faculty as they do that? Oh boy, that's a, that's a really Sorry, I, I'm also doing no. research, so I'm super curious. Please, no, please <laughs> ask those questions because, but the answer truly, the honest answer to that is no, we're not quite doing it. And, but we're working really hard. So meeting students where they're at, and that, that is such a, um, that is such a large thing to think about, right? And what does that really mean? Um, five, six years ago, when we went through the through our strategic plan, our five-year strategic plan for college, um, one of the things that we that we discuss and we still discuss now is being a college, uh, being a student-ready campus. Now, what does that mean, right? Because typically we say uh, that a student should be college-ready, but that's where there's a lot of a lot of gray areas and a lot of blurred lines there. Being a student-ready campus is something that doesn't doesn't mean that okay, so we're all set. Students are running the show here. Here we go, right? Because that's of course that's not what it is. We have a curriculum that we have to deliver uh, to every student before they move on into their major and sophomore year. So we have to do that. But student-ready might mean something like. Um, uh, you know, you know, this is very interesting. Just the other day, I was having a discussion with one of my colleagues, and um, some of the faculty had brought up this idea about like we're suddenly we're getting more students with physical disabilities. You know, now this is very interesting. Now, why? How? Why is it? That, does this mean there are more students with disabilities? Not, no, it just means that maybe those students weren't weren't applying for whatever reasons. Maybe they were shut out of their art programs in high school and couldn't and didn't have access to certain things. So all of a sudden, we see these changes in demographics of our students. So uh, a couple of faculty members had mentioned, uh, uh, you know, what do we do? How do we make our classrooms more ready for students with physical disabilities? So my initial thought when I heard that, I'm, I'm going to be honest, is, well, as long as we know ahead of time, we can make those changes and make it happen. But being a student-ready campus doesn't mean as long as we know ahead of time. What it means is that every single classroom is ready to go for when that happens. So when a student, before we know anything, comes into our room and we have a student comes in that might be in a wheelchair or walks with crutches, that's, that classroom is already ready. So in one minute, we can move it around so it's ready for them. That's what a student-ready campus is. And that's just one, one version of that. So uh, that is um, meeting, with, meeting students where they're at. Is That's part of it. Is, is we're thinking about this as being a student-ready campus. That's a long, long, long haul. Yeah, but we are. We're working at that. Um, now, on the other side of that, though, Abby, your question is really important, which is um, we are also seeing, you know, oftentimes we're seeing a rise in um, 
students with, with severe learning disabilities, which, are, which exist and always did exist, of course, right? But we're more aware of those things now. And now to be a, to be a campus that is ready for those students, which by the way, are always welcome to Mass Effect. This is the thing about being a state university, right? What is education? What is public education? Well, public education means for the public, no matter who that is. And so um, we are not trained for that. We're absolutely not trained. But I think we're, we are working really hard over the last year to, to try to figure that out. How do we have ourselves um, uh, as faculty members ready for those kinds of things that are much more on the rise than we ever have seen before. Um, but at the same time, we always have to have this balance, right? Is that, well, it's not quite our job to, to do that because as you probably know, and most teachers would always say, is that 90% of our work goes into 10% of our students, you know? And so there's always that other 90% that we have to also be teaching. So what we need really are more support systems. We've got to have more support systems in the classroom, like directly in the classroom. So I think that's what makes you know our campus more student ready by having those kinds of resources again at the ready when we need it. So we've we've developed a couple of things with our we have an academic resource center at Massar, which is full of amazing people that work with students with accommodations and things. So we've been working with them pretty carefully to try to to um, make uh, those kinds of things happen and have extra support on hand. But like everything, right? Everything costs money, and so that's always the always a problem. But we get yeah, but and not pretty. So these are, I mean, and I think that that's one of those things where, I don't, being in K twelve education for a really long time, we talk about a lot of these things vertically, but there's some sometimes there's a gap in that moving from K twelve to K sixteen mentality of like the verticality of moving from from twelfth grade into you know, ready for college or, you know, preparing them to experience something different kind of thing. And so um, if there's something that you could suggest for people who are coming, like students or, or teachers who are teaching kids who are wanting to go to an art school um, beyond portfolio and a letter, what, what should they be preparing their, you know, their ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th graders to be really ready to come into a program that is is fun foundational but also rigorous college art is rigorous mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> sorry I took um, these ones weren't on the list <laughs> no that's that no 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 let's let's I'm, I'm telling you I can talk about this I can talk about educational thing um I think that what is the advice well um I think that uh I don't know what the answer is. Um, now I wish I could, my kids are in college already because I can answer that question. Um, but I will say that um, um, we have to have. The, this is something that, that I that I that I feel I've seen over the last few years is that um, uh, okay, helicopter parenting is a real thing. Yes. And it is, um, and now of course we're using this term, um, snowplow, right? Which is just get out of the way. I'm coming through. It's not just it's not helping you get through. It's like I'm going to clear the way for you. Mm -hmm. And so we've seen this, you know. So believe it or not, even at the college level, you would not believe the amount of email and phone calls I get from parents. 
asking about their kids' class. And, blah, blah. and I think, okay, so the, the big difference there is that legally I can't talk about it. You know, I can, I can talk to parents and I'm happy to do so in a generic way. This is what the class is. This is what the curriculum is. This is what we're trying to do and why it's important to your, to your child um, to, in order to move on into their major. Um, I can give them that, but I can't give any kind of specifics about grades and what, how they're doing in class and things like that because they're adults now, you know, mm. guess what? They're 18. So that, um, that helps us a little bit. Um, but uh, that's very difficult, you know, for a lot of students who, who do come to school and they just don't know how to navigate a lot of things like that, you know, um, they, and, and that's just part of being a college student, you know, I will say, actually, you know who does that the best more than anybody? The, co the community colleges. The community colleges teach students to be college students much better than the four-year schools because mm -hmm. they're commuting almost all the time they're commuting. They have to really figure out a schedule. A lot of students who go to community colleges go because of the affordability of it or because they have to work part-time. So they're working part or full-time while going to school. So boy, talk about dedicated students. When we get transfers from community colleges, they're some of the... the the strongest students we have. And then they have to start developing the, the portfolio thing. But in terms of being a college student, that's another lesson that that is really difficult um, for students to learn for anybody, no matter who you are. So I think that um, I think that the the only way I could really answer that, Abby, right now is to say that um, um, it sounds so cliche, but they really have to learn to advocate for themselves before they ever leave high school. That is such mm -hmm. an important skill to know. And that's just like, just the courage, go ask your teacher. No, I'm not going to call and ask for you. You need to go and ask them that. And it's pretty amazing. Once they sort of, they do a little bit of that, they really know those skills. And I'll tell you, the students that know how to do that are having such an easier time in, in college um, that just have those bit of soft skills that they've learned. Thank you for that. I don't know if I answered the Off question. The no, that's great. Thank <laughs> you. I think that is helpful. I think that I think that's something TAP does in art is that students are able to have an idea and then advocate for their idea. And I think right. that that's something that um, I know I like having replaced teachers who are not TAP. Uh, mm -hmm. Kids really struggle with wanting to be um, independent in their thinking. And mm -hmm. that requires scaffolding. And I think that TAB offers that, but it is something that it is a learned trait. Those are learned skills. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I wanted well, to, no, oh, I, I just wanted to mention kind of like going off of what Abby was saying. So in that environment, that, that TAB environment earlier, Mark, you were saying about, um, you know, being student ready, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's an environment that's student ready, ready to accept students, whatever their level that's really, I think, what TAB programs and classrooms provide is that student-ready environment where it's accepting of the students and what you're doing is helping them to develop that independence that then they can go off and use in the way that they need to in order to become their own person, right? Mm -hmm. So, and also you were talking about um, train, like the training that would be involved in that. Um, and not only that, but like just resources in general, like for me, time is one of the biggest things that there's, there's no time, right, for me to be able to do the certain types of things that I would like to. I mean, now I make time for the things that are really important, but I think for a lot of pre-service teachers, 
they might not have that training. And then once they're in their position, they might not have the time or the other resources that they need in order to like pursue best practices that then support that student ready environment. Um, so I know that you're not involved in like the art education program there. Um, I'm looking forward to reaching out to, um, uh, you had mentioned Beth Bolero at one point, which hopefully mm -hmm. we'll be able to have her on the podcast mm -hmm. or the podcast as well. So. Yeah. Um, but I was curious, is there anything you think that high, like higher education could do to better support pre-service teachers? Like uh, from your just viewpoint, like not even as like um, your position at MassArt, but just being mm. in that position where you work with students in different positions. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, thinking about higher ed, again, I hate to always sort of like try to speak for higher ed um, because mass art is such a different animal, you know, in this, it really is. It's quite different uh, than any, anything else or art school, you know, but, um, I, you know, I think that, well, the first thing we have to do is we have to have long-term support for, for teachers that come, not just come out of our program, but for teachers in general, no matter what you're mm -hmm. teaching, there has to be long-term support and long-term support is something can be very simple. Um, I think there needs to be training at no or low cost to, to them, of course. Um, and then, but there needs to be workshops and there need to be classes that are just offered to them and not necessarily training on how to be a teacher, but just, you know, for, 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 I'm sure for both of you and anyone listening to this, is like trying to fighting for time to just make your own work is, is, mm -hmm. an, is just another thing, you know, and you're, um, um, can I just digress for a second? I need, cause I need to say, I need, every time I'm with K-12 teachers, I, I have to say this because, and I really mean this, that what you're doing is real teaching. I mean, this is Monday through Friday. It is, you know, seven in the morning till three in the afternoon. And then you go home and, and get your family settled. And then you do email for the rest of the night. I'm always, that's amazing to me. And it's every single day of the week. You know, we are very lucky in higher ed to not have that kind of a schedule. And, and that doesn't mean what we're doing is not difficult. It's very difficult. And it's at a very different level and, and much deeper. And we're trying to, you know, work on things that, that, um, that we have a luxury, you know, my, our studio classes at MassArt are five hours long, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when I, when I watch like, like folks like you having to teach in 45 minute spurts, or 35 minute spurts and then at different levels and second graders now and then fifth graders are coming in i just don't know how you do it so it's a miracle to me to what all of you are doing and i mean every every k-12 teacher no matter what you're teaching it's real real teaching so thank you for that um that's the first thing but i would say that so and and as i said like you know for art educators like having to have time to make your own work that should be offered you know we should be doing that for you we should be offering classes so you can in time for you to come in and make your own work. So then of course, you're going to bring that back to your classrooms. You know, there's no, there's no time you ever do something on your, in your own studio or your own house. And you're, 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 every time you make a painting or anytime you do any of that, you're going to bring that back into the classroom, whether that's direct or not, but you're also influencing your own mind in the way that you think. So how can that not be passed on to your students? So I think that those things, the training on, on being a teacher, but also workshops and classes, that are just available to you is really, really important. I think that's one of the most important things we could do. Uh, because of course, if we're not doing that, we're hurting ourselves. 
right? We're not we're we're not giving the support to bring the students to at a different level that we can that they'll be our students eventually too. So why aren't we thinking about that as an investment in our own future? Even if you went for that, you know, more selfish standpoint. But um, so I think there's things like that. But I also think that um, I think, and this isn't so much about higher ed, but I think um, thinking about. One of the things that we, that I'll, I'll include myself here, is that um, never really had any kind of training in that we're com finally coming around to now is um, is understanding who our students are because, and understanding who we are, you know? So we are currently, and I'll just, I'll make a, a, a actually I'll give you a, a referral here. I think it's one of the great, um, great things we've been doing in a long time. We are currently in my department, we're working with Dr. Liza Toulousen, who has a great book called The Identity Conscious Educator. And uh, she's just an amazing person and has workshops and seminars. Um, and I encourage anybody listening to, to buy the book and to look at um, and listen to some of the things that Liza talks about. Um, but she is a, uh, she's a professor at UMass Boston, but also you know it gives workshops and seminars. And she's been working with our department, but, but her book and her philosophy there is that um, identity in our students and who they are and who we are, that it 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 informs everything about identity, informs what we do mm -hmm. and um and how we act and then how we interact with the world around us. Right. And so as educators, we, you know, it's one thing to think, well, maybe my students having a bad day. But why our students are having a bad day is a whole other thing that we can't probably understand at a deeper level. And so mm -hmm. that's part of being you know, in our case, student ready, but if we're not understanding who our students are and who we are, if we're not thinking about who our own, what our own identity is and where we come from and who we come from and what our situation is in life and, um, and what we want to be is um, we're bringing that to the classroom all the time too. So we're constantly, it, it's a, it's a room full of identities there that are butting heads against each other. Right. And so I think that is something that we could, should be able to um, to maybe help on the higher ed level, maybe we can do that. And maybe we can provide some of that training and help to understand that. So that'd be more, that's more advice about something that's going into, into education, like yeah. slow down. And, and, you know, honesty is, is such an amazing thing with our students, you know, I teach middle school. If it's all relational, like oh. if you don't have relationships, they won't learn. Yeah. Without a doubt, without a doubt. But there's also, you know, there's also the thing about you know, I think that uh, this is such an active conversation I'm having right now. It's other people in my department. That's why I'm giving you a little in, inside baseball here. But um, I think it's such an interesting thing when you're a, when you're young and you're an educator and you first get your, your first teaching job. Again, no matter what level, um, is that you know you want to be the, the the cool teacher, right? You're young and hip, and you want your students to love you, and they think you're funny because we've all had teachers like that. And that makes education an amazing thing that you have a funny teacher that's really cool. But there's also a line that really can't be crossed, you know, and that but that line is so blurred, you know, and oftentimes we cross that line without even knowing that we've done it. Next thing you know, our students are like doing things like, well, wait a minute, aren't we buddies? Mm, no, we're not buddies. And it's not their fault. It's actually our fault that we let that line get crossed. But that's something that you can't know and without um without experience. You have to teach a few years to really understand that. So I think that's part of it um, is 
understand, you know, understanding who our students are, understanding who we are, and and understanding that that line of what we're trying to teach and and how we teach it is really something else. See, that's really interesting because on this podcast before we've had conversation. I mean, just Abby and I teach and approach tabs so differently. Like mm -hmm. my, if she walked into my classroom, she would probably be very overwhelmed with the amount of like organization. Like I am just totally different in how I approach the pedagogy than how anybody else does. And that, and we are also individual. And I think that a lot of times um, I see people who want to pursue tab and they're nervous at first because they're like, well, there's so many people that do it. Like, how does it, how is it done? Like, what does mm -hmm. it look like? And that's hard because <clears throat> it looks different everywhere. Like no one's situation is the same as anyone else's. So for um, you to mention that whole thing about knowing who you are and how, how you like, how you function as like a person, as a, if you're a parent, if you teach as a teacher, like there's so many different things you have to understand, I think about yourself and how you would approach something in order to really do this work and to do it in the best way that you can. Um, so that's really um, interesting. Thank you for bringing that up. What was the name of that, the book and the author again? Cause I'm definitely gonna yeah. have to check that out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, The Identity Conscious Educator. Okay. And it's by Dr. Liza Talusan, T-A-L-U-S-A-N. All right. Um, and, you know, and even like, you know, what a great, you know, someone to come and give a seminar, so good. Uh, I can't, I can't really say, and, 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 and her honesty when she's telling stories, it's, is really pretty amazing about her and her own life. And, and that, you know, look, I am a flawed, but we're all flawed people. Right. Mm -hmm. And we're all flawed in our own ways. And so, um, you know, this really amazing thing, um, you, when there's a new, when new faculty come into our department, um, you know, I, I, um, a lot of them are, are new, especially like in the foundation department. We used to get a lot of people that are fresh out of graduate school getting their first job. And our department is so big that we need people a lot. So we'll get students who will come, uh, faculty who will come in. And then I'll just, you know, have an, make an appointment just for 10 minutes to say hello and meet them and welcome to the department and all this other thing. And I think um, one of the things that I learned a long time ago from uh, my friend and colleague, Taylor Davis, uh, who teaches in my department, is an amazing sculptor and amazing teacher. Uh, when I was a student, I was a student of hers. And, um, and I remember this thing happened one time in class, which was um, uh, another student had mentioned the name of this sculptor, uh, who was pretty well known, and mentioned, mentioned the sculptor in class. And Taylor said, I don't know who that is. And I remember, I remember the student saying, you don't know who that is, you know, in this doubting face. And then Taylor said, well, what am I supposed to know everything? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just, I just never forgot that. It, it, it made so much sense to me, you know, but no, you're not supposed to know everything. And so one of the things I'll usually give to advice of any young faculty member that comes into the department, I'll say, listen, you know, um, don't be nervous about it. Cause it's amazing how, how nervous you can be in front of a class of 18 year olds. Like, why are we so nervous about it? Right. We have all this experience. I just, you know, I'm going to I've been working so hard in my, my work and I've gone through graduate school and all that, but I'm nervous as hell, excuse me, to, um, <laughs> to be in front of these students. So why are we so nervous? Well, because we think we're supposed to know everything, you know, but so I'll say to faculty, listen, yes, you know what? They do expect you to know everything, but 
they're going to be really, really happy when they realize that you don't. Mm. And that's, I think, the honesty part that I got from from Taylor and from, you know, this book from, from Liza. I think that is really means a lot. You know, when you tell your story, and it doesn't mean diving into personal things you don't want to talk about. It just means, like, don't be afraid that you don't know everything. That's okay, because we're learning together, right? So I think that's such an important thing. I think it's important for educators as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I yeah. love leaving space to learn from students. Um, I think Tab does that well. I have mm-hmm. kids. Well, I'll think I'll know everything about a material and then they will use it in a way I'll be like, huh, yeah. my brain never went there. Thank you for mm-hmm. teaching me that. And I mean, that can be right. with almost anything. Um, and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Uh, I think coming with the approach of, I may or probably am absolutely going to run into things where I don't know all the answers. I would love for you to help teach me mm-hmm. is something that Tab also can make space for. And I think there are the people who coming into Tab new as educators want to do Tab right. They mm-hmm. really want to do, they want to do it right. And I think that probably graduate students coming into teaching faculty positions want to do it right. And there's a right way. And it's, mm-hmm. it's the way that we, most of the times it's the way that we saw education modeled for us when we become it you know as we were becoming Mm -hmm. educated the right way was an educator who did it really well before us um and the reality is is if you go and interview those educators now they'll probably tell you i had no idea what i was doing and i think sometimes we we forget that like you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i now Mm -hmm. have gone back as a parent and go oh did you know everything when you started parenting us? My mom was like, oh my God, we were learning like building the plane and we were flying it, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Kind of thing. Right. And you're like, oh, I thought you had it all together. Yeah. You know? and so I think mm-hmm. that's that, you know, almost disillusionment that maybe everybody that you thought had it together really has no idea. And they're just also working to learn it is important. Right. But I also think it gives you freedom to go, I can get going on something and I can get started without having all the answers. And I think that that's um, when you know better do better. Like I've done tab Mm -hmm. and I've done tab badly (laughs) and I've done it better, you know, like as you learn and as you know yourself and as you gain experience and as you have students teach you, things get better. And so I think that there's that, um, I don't know. I think Jen, you and I focused on this. I feel like every, every episode we do this, it is, it comes down to every educator is different and tab is absolutely not going to look the same and should not look the same in every mm-hmm. classroom. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that that translates up. And I hope that TAB arrives in more, you know, higher ed classes. Um, because I think that that's, I think it's an interesting way of seeing students because they get to come in with their interests and and access content that's important to them um, while still learning what they need to learn. I mean, there's some balances there. You know what I think is important? Maybe I think it, that's interesting about TAB is that there's a system in place that that is trying to achieve all the things we've been talking about. Now, there are educators, and we all know them, who are so dynamic and amazing and don't ever need to teach TAB in order to make exactly the same things happen, right? But that's because they're individually, they're amazing people. But that, but what's great about the TAB system is that that's a system that people can teach within that does start to achieve some of those things. So you don't have to go, you know, you know you're not gonna be a, 
um, a, a subpar educator for the next 15 years, you know, and then hopefully you'll get better by <laughs> later on. But it's a system, you know, that I think is works really, really well. And it comes from a um, from a um, a philosophy that is really, really important that I think those of us in art and art educators um, can really appreciate the philosophy of it. Yeah. Well, I think that might just about sum up all the uh, questions that we had for you, but do you mm -hmm. feel that there's anything else um, that we have not touched on that it would be important for our listeners to know? Yeah, I will say one more thing that I think is interesting. Um, uh, and I know, Jen, you and I have talked about this. And actually, I want to bring it up because your last guest, uh, James Wells from Crayola, started to mention this. And I was okay. like, oh, yeah, someone else is thinking about this, too. Um, he, he had mentioned uh, on your last podcast, tabcast, I'm sorry, um, your last tabcast, that he had mentioned uh, the World Economic Forum. And I was like, yeah, somebody's mentioning the World Economic Forum. So here's the thing I want to just say to people out there, because I think this is a really interesting thing at at orientation each year, when the students get up, and I, I'm 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 the guy that gets to get up in front of all 500 of them in the auditorium and give them my little pep talk, and you know, here we go, and good for you, and now your life starts, and all this other stuff. Um, but what's really interesting is that um, I, I I put up this fact to them that doesn't come from me; it comes from the World Economic Forum. And this is one of the things I really believe in in the power of art, um, art and design. Um, that um, the World Economic Forum every year or every five years um, has a list of 10 top 10 skills that you need to compete in a global economy. Now, these are not the kind of things we ever hear from, from artists and art educators, right? But this is really fascinating to me that top 10 skills you need to compete in a global economy. But what I like about this is it doesn't mention any profession. So that is anything, sciences, and you're an, you're an engineer, or you're a doctor, or you're an attorney, or you're an artist, right? Um, but these are the top 10 skills that are needed. So what's interesting is that they also talk about the fact that 65% of grade school students today will be working in a profession that doesn't exist yet. That's, yeah. that's a crazy number. 65% working in a profession that doesn't exist yet. So then you ask yourself the question, well, then how do you train someone for something that doesn't exist? And the answer is art school. <laughs> well, at least that's my answer, but that's one of the answers. And here's what that means is that um, when you look at those top 10 skills that they list as what you need to compete in a global economy, six of them are what we teach every day in art school, or in our case, in our art classes, creativity, and critical thinking, and complex problem solving, um, and emotional intelligence, uh, judgment and decision making, and cognitive flexibility. Six of the 10 we teach every day as artists and art educators. That's a really phenomenal thing. So it doesn't mean that you go to art school and you only become an artist. This is also the, the, the great, the great um, disappointment you know, in the United States is that, you know, the vast majority of people think that art or making art is something that's fun and great, um, but let's get serious, you know? And, um, and of course, it's not like that in Europe and it's not like that in places like China and Japan, um, that you can actually make work and survive, you know, with your work. So 
we, you know, that's pretty impossible to do in the United States, but it's okay. You don't come to Mass Art and you don't get in the sculpture department like I did. And no one is telling you, don't worry, you're going to be the next, you know, whoever. And you're going to be selling your work and make a living doing that. And no one is pretending that that's going to be. However, if you're, say, a sculpture major at Mass Art, when you leave, you're a woodworker, you can weld, you know, mold making and casting, you know, you have all these amazing skills that you can to do anything really that you want with. So a lot of our sculpture majors go out and work for, for companies um, and des they're designing products for them. Um, but they're also uh, working as cabinet makers and, and they own businesses and they're doing that and that supports their studio practice and they continue to be sculptors the rest of their lives. That is not a problem. But on paper, that's a failure. That's a failure to the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and that's a failure to the United States, that these students are going to art school, and they're majoring in sculpture, and they're a painter, and they're not making a living with that skill, <clears throat> when it's completely wrong. These are the skills that I think is a lot that, we, that they're learning now with TAB as young students, is that learning to do all of these things is what makes you a whole person. And mm -hmm. so um, our students are really successful when they leave Mass Art. They're working in all these fields that... Um, that on paper are not related, but they absolutely learned through the skills that they got at MassArt in their training. I can go on and on. We have so many examples of students that are working in things that you would never, ever imagine, um, but but have really tied it back to MassArt and saying, if I wasn't doing that at MassArt, there's no way I would be doing this. So, and that's, and again, I, you know, I keep saying mass art, but that's not just mass art, that is the arts. And so there are so many people that are getting that kind of education. So I think that's really important. And um, I'm just saying to like, you know, those, you know, future educators out there, people that want to go in and, and teach art, please, please do, you know, we need you. And it's so unbelievably important to students for our, our young students and how they're, um, you know, surviving in the world right now. It's really pretty amazing. So um it's crucial, you know, all of you out there are just crucial to us. So thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for joining us on our TAPcast. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much. Great. Really great. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Yeah, I hope you have Beth. Beth is so good. Right. Beth Valero, if you have her on your on your TABcast here, she's so good. So I think it'd be really, really important for everyone. Well, we'll certainly yeah. be reaching out to her in the new year. And um, speaking of the new year um many of us will be having a break that's coming up um so hopefully i know i'm going to try to make some art in that time um i am terrible at that uh, abby and i have this conversation all the time where i feel truly guilty when i take time to make art because i should be doing something else right um but i am going to make some time for myself and i wish that for all of the people um, that are listening and are not listening to just take some time for themselves to, again, um, like we were talking about before, just to like realize who you are and your needs and to make sure those are met. Um, so yeah, please do take some time for yourself and your families and your, your loved ones this time of year. So mm, don't feel guilty doing it though. <laughs> yes, exactly. Don't feel guilty, don't feel guilty about doing it, you know, <laughs> and if you don't get to do it, don't worry about that either. Don't feel guilty about not getting it done. You just do it when you can. But um, but it's yeah, it's just important. We are we're important to our students. Yes, absolutely. Right. Well, Mark, thank you so very much. Um, and uh, Abby, is there anything that we wanted to mention before we close out today? 
You can find us on all of the major platforms and we'll be back next month with another amazing interview. And we're super excited for all of our listeners and um, happy holidays with whichever holiday you celebrate and with ever, whoever you decide is family and friends to you. Absolutely. And a very, very happy new year. Same to you. Thank you so much. I thanks. thanks everyone.